0: And welcome to FinTech Insider Insights. I'm Guerra, and in today's episode, we're asking: is the future of investment active or passive? The start of the 2020s was marked by the great retail investment boom. Younger generations flipped the stock market on its head with FinTech delivering the power of Wall Street into the palm of their hands. So while many young investors were enthused when things were popping off, the recent economic downturn has potentially shown the importance of long-term investments. So Is the future of investments taking the bull by its horns and doing things entirely by yourself? Or is passing over your money to AI algorithms the better method in the long run? So, you know, is it hands on the wheel type money? Or are we talking about uh, is the future self-driving money? We'll discuss this and more in today's show. But first, a brief word on something we're cooking up here at 11FS.
1: Here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services, and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or somebody you know are up for a challenge and fancy working for one of Flex's most flexible companies, come check out our open roles. We have roles in growth, product, sales, talent, and more. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. That's 11fs.com forward slash careers.
0: Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some light on this topic. So first of all, we've got a fintech insider debut from Rajan Lakini, the head of PR at Plum. Welcome, Rajan. Um, Can you give our listeners a brief introduction to Plum for those who've been living under a rock?
2: Yeah. Hi everyone. Um, thank you for the team at Fintech Insider for inviting me. Um, my name is Rajan and I work at Plum. Uh, Plum is a smart money app helping people to save, invest, budget and manage their spending in an automated and effortless way.
0: Brilliant. And we've got a welcome return to Fintech Insider from Dan Lane, the Manager of Investment Writing over at FreeTrade. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Uh, can you remind our audience about yourself and, and what, what FreeTrade does?
3: Yeah, thanks for having me back where, uh, yeah, I manage the investment writing team at Free Trade. Uh, our mission is to make the markets accessible, strip out all the jargon and talk about investing in plain English, really. Uh, you know, as a company, Free Trade is a, you know, it's a low cost, stop supermarket, if you will. We've got over 6,000 shares, ETFs, trusts from the UK, US and Europe on the shelves to put in your, in your ISA, your pension and your general investment account.
0: Thanks for making ISIS accessible to me personally. Thank you. (laughs) We also have a fintech insider debut uh, from Martin Sock, the CEO of Lightyear. Thanks for joining us, Martin. You've obviously been having a crazy, hectic couple weeks. Can you tell us about yourself and Lightyear, please?
1: Hey, uh, my name is Martin. Um, my, like I'm personally a lifelong product builder. I my past is from TransferWise, where we focus heavily of making sure that we can technology can use people, like can help people make uh, better kind of decisions, lower the costs, uh, give the access to the various different global markets. And after Wise, we. We were quite shocked that we figured out, like, in Europe, it seems that in many ways, the investment world is rather ancient. Um, Still, most people use banks, which is incredibly expensive, no access to the global uh, markets. Service is horrible, but also, like, nobody really helps you to make right decisions. So we just now launched 20 different countries in Europe to offer that.
0: Brilliant, awesome! What a great panel. So let's uh, let's dive in. Uh, so we're going to start by this chat by looking at how the market has developed since twenty twenty for both passive and active investment. But before we do that, I'm going to turn to the words guy, Dan. Um, can you give us a definition of passive versus active in term? Uh, what do these terms mean when it comes to investment?
3: Yeah, I like that, Dan Lane, words guy. Um, so. Uh, it's really, really simple to separate the differences. So active, uh, it's in the name. You're doing it yourself. So you're actively picking stocks. And whether you're doing that or you're outsourcing it to a fund manager to do that, they're trying to pick the winners and leave out the laggards. Um, now, they won't always get there. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. Um, you'll often pay pay more because there's research gone into that. The alternative to that is kind of a lower cost passive investing and what you're aiming to do there is just track an index just track the market you're not looking to beat it you're the best you're hoping to do is to just to match it now it comes into its own whenever other people miss the mark whenever they underperform actually matching the market sounds pretty good Uh, but whenever someone vastly outperforms you might feel a little bit left out but again yeah horses for courses and it comes at a lower cost
0: and um you know, when it comes to to the work that you do at, at at Free Trade, where would you say that that um that you guys have have which horse have you betted on in in terms of active versus passive investment for your customers?
3: Well, the thing is, we're the supermarket. You come in and you you shop yourself, right? Um, so we have uh, the passive products. Um, and it's it, it's funny. We'll maybe get onto it later how blurred the line is becoming between active and passive. But essentially, if you want to go in and buy. The, the stocks that you know you use and you understand and you, and you like and think have the, a long-term uh, long-term story around them, you can do that. If you want a passive strategy, you can do that too. If you want a bit of both and you want to have this core and satellite approach, where you have maybe something passive in the middle and then you know that's kind of the, the center of the flower, and then you choose your own petals with smaller positions in in some of your favorite companies, you can do that too. So we're not there making bets for you. Um It's more about we're just giving you the opportunity and the support importantly to make those decisions for yourself.
0: Martin Lightyear is um you guys are you know like you said you've launched in 19 countries right you're pretty global with your reach um can you tell us a little bit about what you see what are the differences between uh, passive and active investment culturally like since 2020 um across the markets that you work with
1: So I think there's like quite a bit uh, difference between various different countries like you can see like some countries are quite a bit more kind of uh, wealth management oriented or more risk averse in many ways and then uh, maybe even kind of the newer countries in europe you can see there's more risk in a way like people are willing to kind of make uh, kind of riskier bets and whatnot but like me personally like when we start like building this solution then we actually didn't kind of aim neither of these categories uh, because I think it's kind of really easy to kind of pocket people in one category or another. Um, And I think there's like some reasons why we have to do that today. Like the passive investing is kind of, in many ways, only way to do investing today because it's incredibly expensive in many, many markets. Like you have to do bigger contributions. Like you don't kind of, have an opportunity to do balance your portfolio or go in and out in the uh, investments because it just doesn't really make sense financially. Um, like if you start looking into that, what Europeans want to do, and I think there's somewhere in the middle in, in the same way as, as uh, Dan shared that people need to make their own decisions. And that's what we saw. Like I actually start looking into that investments. Like, maybe the robo-advisors make sense. And, like, I think they don't, because the problem there is that people lack of the control, and uh, um, they want to make some of their own decisions. So I think the, the kind of the re- reality is that in all countries, there are some kind of tendencies, like more kind of passive, more active. But in the end, like, people will give them an input, and that input will kind of define your strategy around that.
0: Um, Rajan, with, with the work that you guys do at Plum, can you just give us a bit, bit, of a little bit more of an explainer of how uh, you guys approach, like what your ethos is around investing for your customers, and and what you're hearing from your product managers, from the researchers in the business, um, like has has have what customers asked for, has that shifted since Plum was founded? Because you know Plum is, you guys have had such great success in the UK. What what has been the arc uh, with regards to passive versus active? Is the pendulum swinging? Is it are people 50-50? What are you seeing?
2: So, yeah, just to give you a bit of an idea of Plum's proposition. So um, in terms of our investing uh, offering that we provided to people, it was primarily focused on funds. Um, so we've got 12 funds that people um, can invest to, into. Um, and it was a, they're around a broad range of different themes. So you could invest in um, the FTSE All Share or the S&P 500. Or if you're really um, into ESG, there's an ethical fund that's available to you or you can invest in healthcare. So it's it's around a broad range of different markets and, and different themes. Um, 12 isn't a huge number, but actually what we found is um, for our customers who actually are new to investing, have very little knowledge um, around it, actually giving them a smaller number of fund choices has actually helped them to make those decisions um, around what funds to invest. And I think one of the challenges that sometimes can happen when you've got lots of different um, funds and shares that are available is it can be quite intimidating um, for customers when, when making that choice. So I think enabling people to have perhaps a smaller choice um, to begin with, and then as they develop their expertise, um, develop, giving them the option then as they develop their expertise around investing to then have that broader group of uh, shares to choose from um, gives that good balance. So we've offered funds, and then. Um, A few weeks ago, we launched our first group of stocks so people can invest commission-free into just over 500 US stocks um, with Plum as well. So we're offering that option now for people who, yes, they may want to invest in the brands they love um, or particular um, organizations. So we're giving them that option, but then they can also invest in funds. And ultimately, I think what we want people to do is invest over the long term. That's something we emphasize in all our um, communications. It's not something... Um, it's not a platform necessarily for short-term trading, although that option is available. But it's all very much around the long term and, and, and growing your money, um, so you can be better off over the longer term.
0: And I imagine that's that's really, you know, shifted or at least like evolved during this retail investment boom we've seen right since 2020. So like. Last year in 2021, the GameStop stock frenzy highlighted how volatile retail investment can be, but it also shows how powerful uh, it can be, especially with the organizing that was happening on Reddit, um, Wall Street Bets, and across Twitter as well. What has led? What factors, Rajan, do you think have led to this perfect storm of um, this boom in investment in retail investment?
2: I think there's a lot of factors, but one of those is. Um which I think is underestimated, it's just conversations with friends and family. So what you found was some people had begun investing or um, or recently you know, invested into different assets and, and they were doing well. And there's that kind of feeling of, oh, I'm missing out on something here. And I think that played a, um, a significant part. And I think that's an underestimated part, I think, in terms of more and more people um, getting involved. And I think we particularly saw that around crypto. And I think we're seeing some of the um, repercussions of that. Um, uh, now with what's happened with the market but ultimately I think during um, a lockdown people had more time and particularly I think the younger generations who you know have missed out in a number of different ways in terms of um, seeing the benefits from um, economic growth they thought that this was an option for them to um, you know grow their money um, and having seen their friends and family being successful around it they increasingly began to enter the market and with interest rates um, where they were now, we were seeing some of those growth stocks particularly doing very well, Tesla namely. And I think it remains very, very popular among a number of uh, different um, investment platforms. So I think it was a mixture of the success of the markets, those conversations between friends and family and, and the fear of uh, missing out, but also having more time to think about these things and and, and do a bit of research and then invest but ultimately also, I'll just add is is platform availability. I think that's a massive change. you know we've got three different platforms on this meeting now um on this discussion now with you know um and we're all offering commission free and and that's making access to the markets far more accessible, and I think that's been a a big shift over the past few years.
0: Definitely, and I think I think that shift is is kind of skewed to younger demographics, right? So, like you know, according to Finder.com, seventy five percent of Gen Z plan to buy stocks and shares in the future, compared to just forty one percent of the Silent Generation, which is people seventy to eighty years old. But if we look at it from a different demographic lens, um, Dan, I'm going to come to you. Like, let's look at it from wealth and income, right? So, how much does income, like income levels play into this. Is wealth management and robo-advisory exclusive to those who are like serious with cash? Um, has retail investment been led by those with lower levels of income? So I guess I'm, I'm leading toward a question being like, is is passive and active investment, um, can it be split across income lines or I guess like wealth lines of, of individuals?
3: Yeah, I think we're talking about a couple of things here because one is the way that the industry should have always looked um, but gravitated towards people with high levels of cash. And then there's the other way, which is the strategy, how much time you want to put in, how much you actively want to get involved in this and how much you just think, Hey, it's, it's like my vegetables. I know I should have it, but I don't really want to get involved. On the first point, if in the UK, especially if we look at some of the, the big, bulky, you know, uh, wooden clad walled offices where the, you see, you, you start to understand how they afford such lavish offices because of their fees are so high. These are like the private wealth managers and then you get into advisors and then you get into platforms charging high fees. For years and years, there was just this attack on the retail investment industry about sucking money out before you've even placed an investment. I don't, I think that the retail will would have always been there, but they've just been priced out. It's wrong to say that suddenly there was this massive retail will over 2020. It just became more accessible, as Rajan said. You know, it's at that point that we have to kind of step back and say, okay, well, now is the massive point where we need education around it because you can't just go flying into stocks with no with nothing. You'll get burnt. You know, you might never come back to investing, might put you off for life, and that would be a terrible shame. So that's one come. And actually, I don't think that is to do with income levels. The other side of it is to do with kind of... Okay, well, here here we have an industry that's ready for the future now, and it's becoming part of everyday life. So it used to be that you would set up a meeting with your advisor. They would maybe go out for lunch with you, and no one wants that anymore. It's too clunky. It's a little bit too chummy-chummy. Um, we want to be doing these things on the go. We want it in our pockets, and we want to just make this part of our life, not a big event in our life. So whenever we think about regular savings plans, whenever we think about... Um, you know i've seen this on the news can i explore it in my pocket can i have a look what are the ratios on my phone um what are the key stats of these companies is it, is it attractive you know we have to wake up and think that you know people in the us have been doing this for years it's like very very common to talk about your stocks over the dinner table in the us we just don't do that and there might be somewhere in the middle where we're happy enough to have these passive things ticking over in the background with room for event driven trades where we go oh actually this might be a good time to to get that company that I've been following for a long time, uh, it's it's suddenly become attractive given you know its ratios have fallen or something. So there is a bit of a mix there, but um, in short, it's not an income thing, um, and I think it's wrong to say that because then we get into things about well, are people with lower incomes less skilled, and it's, it's just completely not the case.
0: Right, and you know, it's, let, let, let's 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 segue into the next portion of the conversation, which is looking at those challenges, right? So, like, I guess both both passive and, and active um investments, uh, strategies do face some challenges, right? So um, research from June said that retail investors aren't preparing their portfolios for an economic recession, according to Bank of America. So robo-advisors may react on automatically during market downturns, which means that it's up, up to you to veer from any default actions. So what happens when an economic downturn sucks the air out of a market? Martin, I'm going to come to you on this one. Um, what are you seeing from your customers, from your end users, When it comes to an economic downturn, are people turning away from? So, basically, what happens when when they're hit with a challenge?
1: Can I challenge these both statements, uh, what you made, uh, that robo investors will automatically react? I haven't seen that happening anywhere. Um, Like, it's a good idea, but I don't think it has implemented. I think it will be implemented at one day. And the second is uh, retail investors aren't preparing their portfolios. And like 100% sure. Like a lot of people are not preparing. So what's the like, what's the problem there? And I think like the big problem is that people lack of understanding what's actually happening on their portfolio and in the market. So um, I'm a vocal advocate of like, there is no no reason to try to educate people through, like, I'm going to create a blog post about dollar cost averaging and investing in the long run and whatnot, like, because nobody reads that effectively. It's like, how, like, my question is that, like, how do you get these people prepared? I and mean, this is an education and you need to bring that education into the app. And like, if, if the people understand what's going on in their portfolio, they can see their risk levels and they can figure out, like, am I willing to take that risk on, then this will help people to make a decision, understanding what's happening in the market, understanding your risk and downturn and like whatever upside as well. So all that in mind, um, Investing is a weird thing. There's a lot of different people there. Like, if I'm looking around here, I have my co-founder who invests in a lot of value stocks. I'm investing more into growth world. There's a uh, two guys there who's like fully focusing on a dividend yield and whatnot. So all the downturn impacts these people differently, and their kind of view is different, and like their kind of reaction and information is different. So in that sense, like, I don't think there is like this one way to say that oh we can solve this or having this kind of simple indication. I think. Um, if you are able to get away from this execution window-based investment platforms uh, in active investing where you just have like enter the ticker Apple, Tesla, and you're going to buy that, and that's it. And then you see the portfolio, you have like 100 of that. But if you're going there they're saying like, hey, like, I don't know, Tesla, there's a PE ratio, what means, whatever the PE ratio means. And if you are understanding that this company needs to grow quite a lot to kind of um, uh, actually be... In reasonable value and the share price, then you can start like thinking about in a position that oh like I'm ninety percent exposed in the Tesla, which is rather volatile and risky stock in a way, and like stuff can go up si- side and sideways so like I think the question comes in that are we able to build a really good investment platform on uh, access, fees, transparency, and all that view, but I think the next step in the future is like do these people actually understand? what's the kind of risks, who they are. And I, I'm calling it, like, it's a kind of personalized investment. I think that's the kind of future. It's not active or passive.
0: I think I'm going to push back on what you said about the education piece, about, like, how no one reads uh, that stuff. We've got someone on the line, Dan, whose, whose job really is to to write that content. And as someone who is a retail investor with... No financial degree or understanding of how markets work truly, you know, like deeply. I mean, I have like a bit of a base understanding. I personally, I'm interested in retail investing. I know a lot of people, regular people, who are, and we turn to platforms like Free Trade, um, who've put together extensive resources to educate users. Um, earlier on the call, I forget someone was talking about how they were looking for tips on how to stay cool um, by looking on TikTok and social media platforms. People are actually using social media platforms like TikTok um, to financially educate themselves as well. So it's not just blog posts, right? Um... Dan how key is education an element for this generation of investors like and I know that it, I, I don't I want to kind of look at this from a more thoughtful lens because we hammer on and on about how education is important yes but like what does the future of education in volatile markets in you know bear markets and and bull markets um what, what does that look like and and just also to preface this as a millennial who personally has never been old enough to like be in a bear market. It's it's a bit of a shock to me now, and I'm, I'm you know have lived on the gravy train for so long. Um, you know, what does edu- what does thoughtful education look like, and and how key is that for the for this new generation of investors?
3: Yeah, I mean, it is everything. Um, but it's about preparation, right? It's if you're turning to these things in times of strife you're probably letting kind of the behavioral, economical, behavioral economics fear grip you and you probably want to make big decisions in the moment when you're full of um, nervous energy. It's not really what we want to happen, right? So this is why we want to... And it ed- sounds like you're sitting down with a textbook, right? It, that's not the way we view it. Um, we have a regular newsletter filled with memes and a few things that we find fun around um, the markets. Uh, and we, we put that out and we get, we've seen a massive growth in that because people want, people want to learn... But I would agree with Martin that it's it's not in the sense of, here's a 10,000-word blog post with all this jargon, now sit down, because I'm, you're not going to be a good investor until you read it. It's just not, it just doesn't work. And I know this, having worked for some of the bigger firms, I worked for a massive asset manager for seven years producing stuff like this, um, and knew that it didn't. So this is why we came to Free Trade, this is why we set up what we do now. So it's about it. Meeting people where they want to be met, how they want to be met in a language that doesn't uh, intimidate or condescend, and that actually entertains as well. My main competitor is not any other investment platform. My main competitor is every other media platform on the internet, because my job isn't to make investing fun. It's to make it a really intrinsic and educational, but also entertaining form of content that you want to engage with and you want to become better at. Um, so that's my goal. Everything else is kind of noise to me. But whenever when you talk about millennials, this is the first time that we will have experienced something like this. There were brief periods in 2015 whenever um, Chinese market crashed. Um, maybe you know, certainly millennials after the after 2008, we have a massive distrust of financial education. If you look at Gen Z, they grew up only knowing rock bottom interest rates and no rate rises, limited inflation, and growth stocks, consumer staples just rising. Hey, and the message was you know, just buy these, they just they just keep on going up, decent dividend yields, they're bond proxies. Now is the time when active management tends to shine among institutional investors. You know, going passive right now, you're buying a lot of the companies that won't last as well as some of the ones that will. And if you look at passive, if you look at active investing sometimes as picking the winners, right now, maybe it's a case of just avoiding the losers. And a lot of the time you'll see that, that tends to be quite easy among institutional voices. Um, that's that's the way they will do it. They will vulture around the market and see who won't last. Um, again, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to do that, there's a case for just hey, just topping up. You know, just be re- just be the calmest you can be. Just keep on going. You know, Warren Buffett told the hedge funds that 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 kind of strategy would miss out ten years or would, would win out ten years ago for them, and it did. Uh, we see over the long term that investing regularly and not even looking at your portfolio over the long term actually beats getting the best possible prices in the market if you just sit on the sidelines because you're not compounding. You're not respecting the very basis of investing, which is just long-term compound interest. So don't try to be too smart about it. Just, you know, just just do what needs to be done. And if you want to learn more, sign up to somewhere that meets you. So something like our Honey by Free Trade email. If that's something you just want to have like a nice little commute read, maybe that's the way you learn.
0: Yeah, I think um, I totally agree. I think that that the future, especially for this generation, um, who, like you said, like this is the first time a lot of us are experiencing this level of volatility, um, be equipped with with education. But I'm I'm gonna kind of turn to you know the tool used by passive, um, the the tool for passive investment strategies by by platforms, right? So like robo advisory, Martin robo-advisors are only as foolproof or intelligent as those who've programmed them, right? Um, so robo-advisors, just to be clear, they are fiduciaries. They, they do have, um, you know, responsibility, uh, but clients still should be able to understand how these algorithms work. Uh, at least I, I truly believe that. So the risk tolerance um, can be factored in to a robo-advisor's actions, but it may not be as precise. And and again, methods vary by company. Is Martin, in your opinion, is this industry still in its infancy, or have we seen the smartest robo advisors who have beat the market, or who have you know shielded their users from uh, rug pulls or whatever? Like, where do you think we are with with robo advisory?
1: I haven't seen any really smart robo advisors, to be honest. I think robo advisors are inherently really simple beasts, and they they try to figure out customers' kind of risk profile and like a little bit of the ambition, and then they split that between handful of ETFs. Like there are rare occasions who we'll try to do a little bit more clever there. So in the, in my point of view, like I think robo is. I don't think it robo as an industry is actually um, the kind of long term view in that industry. I think the Robo will be a feature in an investment platform. So I can invest today in ETFs. Um, if robot tells me to invest in free ETFs, I can come to Lyker and just invest into those free ETFs and that's it. So I can do it really simply. So I can be a little bit more clever. So I can set up in a recurring payment into the portfolio uh, of these ETFs. Uh, but I can also add uh, something cool there what excites me, maybe 5% of Tesla. And then I'm going to split that money out there. So I think that this is actually what's going to happen quite a bit more is that people have kind of this really clear defined set of rules what they can use so they can set up multiple different portfolios i have one for world index never going to touch it then i have one where i maybe want to gamble like put five percent something into like teslas and gmes or whatever excites me in a way and then i have this kind of long term-ish portfolio what i say like hey half of that should go to technology, half of that should go, or like some of it should go to health. Something should be in a kind of low, super low risk assets and it kind of balances itself. Whatever, if some industry goes a little bit stronger, then it balances itself out. If it goes less, then it balances the other way around. But it's a constant like dollar cost averaging, going money into that account. And I think that's super powerful because that gives the control of, control of making decisions and control, control of understanding what, who are you and what's your risk. Also, learning element into it, and that creates, I think, a really good understanding of like how in- people should invest and what and why they're doing. I think the Robo big problem is that people just don't understand what's going on there, and they don't trust it, but then don't use that because of that.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, trust. You've touched on something really important. But let's uh, let's let's take a, a short break, um, and because uh, I really want to get into what comes next, really. So let's take a quick short break, and we'll be back momentarily.
1: So we're going to go out on a limb here and assume that you're enjoying this podcast. We're also going to assume that, like us, you're a fintech nerd and that our podcasts, live events, video series, and documentaries keep you tapped into everything that's happening across fintech and connected to the fintech community. So if you're interested in creating content that informs and entertains, then you should definitely chat to our media team and get in touch on sponsors at 11fs.com.
0: All right, let's move on from the challenges and, and look to how the market will change in the future. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of millennial talk on the internet and, you know, among my friends and stuff is that like Pa- active investment, hands on the wheel, money is the way to go. Passive investment, is only going to get you incremental returns. Compound interest is boring. Uh, I need compound interest plus more. <laughs> but um, we're seeing a bit of a shift, right? We're seeing we're seeing a shift um, in sentiments uh, to to kind of like I said before, the pendulum swing uh, to like you know self driving money. But um, self-driving money, which is also you know, also known as passive investment, is less sexy, right? It's less interesting uh, to to retail investors, and um, which is why you know we we haven't seen a, a Wall Street bets reddit uh, thread about passive investment right it's 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 not it's not really something that that sparks a lot of um excitement um Rajan is the nature of passive investment that it isn't meant to be interesting um how How does that influence pre, like products at plum and and anywhere else really going forward
2: it's a great question i think it's one of those things again where you 've got a silent majority you know you've got most people who are investing you know passively you know, finding a fund, um, you know, whether that's a 60-40 split or 80-20 split between equities and bonds, and and keeping that going. And at Plum, we're all about that longer-term investing. Um, and, and, you know, the markets are going to have, you know, peaks and troughs, but over time, what we find over the longer term is economic growth happens, the markets grow, and, and people um, acknowledge that, and, and whether that's through, um, you know, investing in certain funds or, in thres- or investing into certain companies... Um, over the long term so yeah you might see people on Reddit um, and other channels who are more vocal um, about what they're investing in and sharing that but actually you know that silent majority is investing in passive and, and seeing their money grow um, over the long term so I think it's, it's got to be careful around um, reflecting too much on on that kind of chatter but actually you know, in terms of the numbers what we're seeing is that move happening more and more um, towards um, passive investing and you know passive investors have done you know very well compared to you know active investors and, and the hedge funds you know showing that the passive investors continue to do well and 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 it's relatively um low cost i'd like to quickly just touch upon the discussion between martin Dan on, on education um you know it, it's, a, it's a really interesting discussion i think at plum you know it's all about automation and, and making it effortless and i think a big, big thing for us is actually learning by doing so we completely agree that education is important Um, and would completely agree with Dan you've got to go to where people are at and and talk in a language that people are going to understand equally the best way for people to learn is through actually investing and and doing it and whether that's starting small um, and and taking advantage of pound cost or dollar cost averaging and and building that and and seeing how you get on and as you grow more confident beginning to diversify more or, or try different things I think mean, that's the that's the key uh, kind of evolution that we see uh, amongst our investors, and I think um, amongst the you know large number of investors as well.
0: Rajan, from a product perspective, right? Like, let's look at this from a product lens. How does one design a product that is meant to be left alone, right? Like, like you've you've talked about dollar cost averaging, the fact that you know um, passive investment tends to outpace hedge funds, even right? These are multi billion dollar organizations that are designed to trade, right? So uh, 55% of American millennials uh, and Gen Zs are not prioritizing saving right now. Like, How do we go about building a product that is just meant to be left alone, that's meant to be self-driving?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a real challenge at the moment, You know, with the cost of living and inflation uh, really impacting people. Um, what we'd always say is make sure you've got your savings in place and you have an emergency fund before you think about investing. The last thing you should be doing um, the last thing you, know, you should be doing when you're in that position is beginning to look to invest where you have got debts to pay. So what we're doing make sure is make sure your debts are paid and you've got an emergency fund in place that helps to cover you for three months of your home bills, your mortgage, your rent, energy bills, etc. And then when you are then in a position and you've got the stability, then you should look to invest. And that's a really, really um, important message. So once you are in that position and you are looking to invest, I think in terms of the, the product itself, making it easy for people to engage with um, is really important. And, that, and that's through the communications that are sent to them, whether that's um, you know the app message or the email um, and the design of the product. And I think it goes back to this design around not overwhelming people with lots of choice to begin with. Uh, so making sure that you know you present you know a number of different options, saying you know these perhaps are the most popular or this is what um, you know people with in, you know, um, in, in your position have tend to invest in. So you, you give to people some idea of what they might want to do, and then they can make you know the, the, their choice from there. Um, and then I think the the other thing is just being careful in terms of how often that individual is communicated with around um, their investments. I think you know certain. Uh, apps in other industries I'm talking about will regularly engage the individual and that might be in their best interest because it might lead them to make um, the wrong choice and particularly now where you're seeing the markets at where they're at um, people who have g- naturally have said they want a long-term risk horizon will see some of their funds and stocks in the red and they might go oh I need to do something I need to make changes And then ultimately um, it might not be the right decision. So, you know, like Dan said, um, you know, keeping calm, keeping consistent um, is absolutely key and, and having that longer term view.
0: Yeah, let's, let's look even more, let's look more futuristic now and and kind of pivot to crypto, the big C word, right? Um, I'm going to kind of shine a spotlight real quick on Rajan and Dan. Um, in 2021, there was rumors, uh, that were reported by the block that, um, free trade and plum were plotting crypto launches, uh, Purely based, I think, on, on uh, your your jobs pages. I don't know if you ended up hiring these people. Um, but it kind of looks like and sounds like both your businesses... Dan, I'm going to come to you first. Your businesses kind of see a future of investing in the crypto market. So about 50, 59.1 million Americans own some sort some form of cryptocurrency in 2021. Uh, Vietnam right now is currently ranked as the top chain analysis global crypto adoption index, followed by India and Pakistan to round out the top three. So we're seeing a lot in, in the global south. But I mean... There seems to be momentum in, in in the UK and Europe right so Dan is there a future uh, at free trade or even in general um, for crypto investing that is responsible and not like um you know tradey uh, D Jenny
3: <laughs> yeah well I mean listen I'm, I'm not here to make any big product announcements if anyone's waited with waiting with bated breath there um, but you know what we Given its place in the marketplace, sure, it's on our radar. Um, you know, listen, we have a laundry list of stuff that we want to be launching. So, you know, I'd be surprised if it wasn't on there at some stage. Um, does it have a place in a well-balanced portfolio? The answer is genuinely that who knows yet. And I would, if someone says with any great certainty right now, I'd say they're a, kind of a, a liar, snake oil, salesman or a fool. Um, the only way that we can view crypto right at the minute is the speculative asset. And there are ways that everyone justifies it in all these different terms. For me, the real interesting point is that, okay, well, why are people attracted to it? People are attracted to it because of the inherent transparency of the the entire proposition. Compare that to open-ended funds or unit trusts in the past 20 years that only have to disclose their top 10 holdings, tell you whenever they want, what they do, and never really talk to investors. They take decisions on... Company management, or you know, they'll talk to companies and vote the way they want to vote. This seems to be the antidote. So the theory of transparency um, and of complete opening up to the people feels good. I mean, that feels like it. If you think about where the most successful drivers in the in the in the active industry have been, um, it has been where people are actively transparent. Terry Smith, Nick Train, Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, which tells you everything it's holding at any one point, tells you its strategy. Um, these have, these have grown in popularity. So that, so the that's one side of it. The other reason that crypto is obviously taking hold is because people have seen such dramatic swings. And this is maybe where the shine should come off it because, you know, it's being used as a speculative asset. It's not really being used as a, as a currency right now. So does it continue to be a speculative asset? And if so, how much do, you put of your portfolio do you, do you give to that? Um, we just don't know these things right now. There's a lot of people who tell you they do. It's, it, the whole thing's been around for, you know, seven years, for seven, eight years in, in the broad public imagination. So there might be, there might be a place for it. And especially with the rise of uh, the metaverse, it might have a very strong position there. There are already propositions being, uh, springing up where it actually has a use case, something like tel- Telcoin, which has a, is backed by kind of rem- a strong remittance service with, with an actual business behind it. These things are springing up and, they aren't named after kind of cartoon dogs and stuff. So it might have a place. I think it's sensible to say we just don't know. And that's okay to say that, by the way. Experts aren't always there to just predict the future. This is, we're not taking bets here. We're prepared for it. Um, we're getting ready for it. But um,
0: yeah, let's see how it plays out. Martin, do you, do you have any thoughts about the, f- you know, the future of investing specifically pertaining to crypto?
1: Specifically with crypto?
0: Yeah, I mean, for Lightyear, for you know the industry in general.
1: Yeah, I think like crypto, crypto is incredibly exciting, but like, it's an incredibly risky asset as well. Uh, like if you're thinking about uh, what crypto can do, I think there's uh, there's still some time to go to kind of kind of carve away like all the different kind of angles where people are using like uh, like decentralized technology for one form or another. I think like today we're still in this kind of. baby phase where we have a lot of science a lot of interesting stuff happening a lot of people are banging the drum that this is going to be the future but like i think the reality is there's a lot of things what we need to learn um like right right now what we see is that the crypto is coming on investment markets quite a bit in the u.s specifically uh in europe not so much i think like there's five six times more uh people in the u.s who are using uh, crypto uh, than in europe but i think like in Europe, we have used to that. Like We are lagging in all the technology. Like I think that um, if you're removing the crypto from this question, then the answer is that uh, uh, we haven't seen the financial boom on a retail place yet. People haven't come, retail people haven't come to the market. Most of the people are not investing. I think there's over the next 10 years, like there will be an incredible amount of people who are coming to the market and a lot of capital what comes to the market because now we are getting into the place where retail investors actually have an access. We haven't had that so far.
0: Okay. Um, let's do a quick, uh, quick fire round to, to round off the show, guys, because we're coming to, to the end. Um, and let, let's do that by coming back to the initial question at the top of the show. So is the future investment passive or active? Rajan?
2: A bit of both. I mean, I'm sorry, um, I'm going to sound like, you know, those uh, university or kind of school Uh, papers that you published then you say in conclusion it's a bit of both but yeah um, I I think it it is going to remain that way obviously what we've seen over the past um, few years as investing has become more um, accessible and as people have learnt more around um, passive investing and seeing that actually passing investing can deliver returns as good as if not better um, than than the hedge funds um, that more and more people have looked to passive but there's always going to be a role for people who've got the time the education and the expertise to then pick individual stocks as well and the fact that investment platforms have made that easier for people um, to do that rather than being you know punished by high charges is a good thing as well so I think you're going to continue to see um, a bit of both and that's important that you know people have that choice and and can make decisions that are right for them and their risk tolerance.
0: Cool, Dan. Where do you lie?
2: Um, well, I mean, Rajan's stolen
3: all of our stock line here. That it's it's a bit of both. But um, I would say that a nuance to that is if we can like we can change the argument a little bit. Investing is very little to do with what with when you buy and when you sell. It's a lot to do with what happens in between. Um, what are your behaviors like in between? And if your behaviors are someone that. Can just let things flow. Um, maybe passive is for you. If you're if you're someone who needs to kind of constantly spot opportunity, um, maybe active is for you. But then maybe you need to control your own behaviors to so that you're not making rash decisions. So that's why it's a bit of both. It's also probably a bit of a core and satellite, as we've all kind of alluded to here, um, where you have maybe your kind of your your FTSE All Shares, your, your MS, MSCI World, your S and P five hundred in the center, um, and then you complement that with things that you're particularly competent at, maybe you're very, very adept at, uh, at tech, you know tech inside out, so why would you not choose you know, those tech winners on the outside of your portfolio in smaller positions to manage that risk as well? Um, so it, it is a bit of both, but it's also about managing you yourself first um, and your behaviors, your risk tolerance, your time horizon, your financial goals.
0: Cool, thank you. Martin?
1: So I have two answers here. I think one answer is that uh, I think the reality is the the future of investing is a personalized investing, like something what kind of goes with you and understands your risks and everything around that and like time horizon. But if uh, if you're thinking about like really practical terms, what does it mean? Where the assets are going? How the assets will be managed? If you take the majority of people, uh, most uh value goes into the passive world like people can be really excited about like trading in and out and uh, having like a smaller portfolios maybe sometimes start with like full portfolio of like going rather actively into the various different assets in the end mostly people get into the place where they have a maturity of stuff in the passive long-term growing and then they have a this uh Uh, pet project next to it, um, where they are like more interested of like various companies and whatnot. So I think if, if you generalize the whole market, then this is going to be the rough picture. Obviously there are a lot of different people with different views and uh, activities and whatnot.
0: Thank you. Um, that wraps up today's discussion. So thank you so much to all three of you for joining me today. Um, Really could go on and on about, about investment. Uh, also, just to preface this, like you know, this is not investment advice. Nothing we've said is investment advice. <laughs> uh, but where can people find out more about you and your companies, Rajan? Yes,
2: yeah, so if you go to www.withplum.com, um, where you'll find out more about Plum and what we offer and how we can help people to save, invest, budget, and manage their spending. Brilliant. Dan? Uh, well, you can find the Free Trade app
3: on your, on your, on your favorite app store, um, or you can find uh, all of our supportive materials, um, education, and just a little bit of fun on the markets uh, on the Free Trade website. And you can sign up to Honey by Free Trade, which is our regular newsletter. A um, little bit of a, a no jargon and fun poke at the markets um, every week. Thank you.
1: Martin. Yeah, like Lighter website is goLighter.com. Um, if you want to contact me, feel free to write me, I'm Happy always to discuss various investment topics with everybody.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. And as for me, you can find me at lemonfest.com. Also bouncing around on Twitter, not Guera. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you've heard, please do subscribe to our podcast and do not forget to leave us a review. It really does help us make the show better. As always, uh, you can join into the conversation. You can find us on social media. So just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or simply email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much and goodbye.